Welcome to Who Knows Real Estate, Episode 10, Home Builder Profits. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jim. And today our guest, Jason Javer of Vista Homes, shares how the home building business works. This morning, we're lucky to have Jason from Vista Homes here with Jim and I. For the folks that don't know you and Vista, can you give us a little background on who you are and what you guys have going on? Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, super excited to be here with you guys. Uh, I've started Vista Homes uh, seven, eight years ago. Uh, I have a business partner, Zeb Moser. And when we started, I moved down here from from Charlotte. I Before working with Zeb, did a couple renovations, uh, failed, uh, realized pretty quickly that you know, I probably, I needed to learn more. I needed to kind of get better at my craft in order to do it full time. So at that point I uh, went and got a full-time job um, with Electrolux and kind of worked my way as a financial analyst there while always kind of keeping with the uh, passion that I had for real estate. And from there, you know, it was a lot of nights and weekends and working hard and doing different things with Zeb, but kind of over time, the, the business has, has morphed. And as the market has uh, improved. We've started to get into new construction. Uh, currently, we do. Uh, we're targeting to do around thirty to forty units a year, so roughly you know fifteen million dollars of gross revenue. Uh, we have a team of uh, nine other people. Uh, we have uh, a couple salespeople and some operations project managers. And our niche is infill development. So what we focus on is kind of your target neighborhoods in Charlotte, the Noda, Plaza Midwood, Villa Heights, um, infill development projects that are going to be anywhere from two to 15 units. And, you know, we try, we're working now on just kind of really getting uh, narrow and deep and like really kind of honing in on what makes us unique. Uh, we feel like for this full service infill development, that four hundred thousand to eight hundred thousand dollar price range, that you know we're specializing and we're starting to gain momentum, and people are starting to really understand who we are. And I think that's kind of all just come from uh, the snowballing and working hard and making mistakes, <laughs> uh, tons of mistakes. And the only way you kind of uh, get and continue to evolve is by tweaking things and trying to get better every day. So that's, that's a little bit about Vista Homes. Yeah. Now you gave us a nice like 30,000 foot uh, overview there, but I know there was a lot of painstaking, you know, it's a labor of love. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about, it was just you and Zeb in the beginning and now you've got a great staff that you're working with. Can you kind of walk us through some of those years when it was just the two of you and what you and how you got who, yeah. who you hired and why you hired them and, and what that process looked like? Yeah, I think the interesting thing when it was just me and Zeb was, you know, we would just kind of talk all the time at that point. And we started, uh, my business partner, Zeb, was a commercial uh, pilot. Um, and I was working, obviously, a more standard nine to five. So his schedule was a little bit unique. Uh, mine was a little bit more set. But it was really like nights and weekends, we were really getting together and grinding through it. And both of us spent a lot of time, um, you know, reading blogs. Like a lot of people are familiar with Bigger Pockets now. We were kind of reading that when Bigger Pockets was first getting, getting big. And really, when podcasts were first getting big, we were spending a lot of time with knowledge. And then we would just would understand like what the different things were back then that were working. And what we specialized in then was kind of finding these properties off market. And we tried, you know, many different marketing techniques and we'd track them and we'd see what worked and what didn't. And the things that worked, we doubled down on and things that weren't working, we got rid of. And we just kind of constantly 
went through it and uh, kept trying new things. And then over time, we started to bring people in. So our first employee originally started as, you know, working, you know, part time. And then as you go, you know, we continue to hire people. We learned a ton about hiring people. <laughs> we, we hired some wrong people. We had some turnover. Uh, now I feel like we have a great team and people that now it's our job to really put them in the right position and make sure that we're doing the right projects and the right things to uh, lead to their success. So we really focus a lot on, you know, cause we have a great team. It's, and now it's about, it's like being a coach of a sports team. Like, you know, you have these great players, but now you have to tell them and show them and put them in those positions to succeed. So, whereas in the past it was more about me and Zeb kind of grinding through things. Now it's about, you know, how do we get the most out of our team and how do we also make it enjoyable? You know, I, I want it to be a place where our employees, enjoy it. I think that we could be, you know, one thing I didn't love about, you know, my past working experiences was, uh, you know, you went in, you didn't really get a feel for the success of the company or there was no like family culture or camaraderie. I don't think the people really liked each other, to be honest. And um, it's something that we're just working on kind of making sure that we have the right people that are enjoying it, that are in the right positions to succeed. And, you know, at the end of the day, we really kind of focus on the culture and understanding people's goals. And, you know, the full transition is in the beginning, it was just mine and Zeb's goals. And now it's about, you know, how do we make this really something where everyone's succeeding? And, you know, everyone has different goals too. So not everyone's goal is going to be to make the most money possible. You know, some people want work-life balance or they really like want to have things organized and given to them. They're not, not everyone wants to be completely entrepreneurial. So when you're building a business in the, you need to start to kind of create processes and systems and make it enjoyable. And, you know, that's how you kind of keep employees engaged and, and hopefully yeah. want to be a part of the, the Vista family. Now you, uh, you grew at such a pace that when you started out, you were just outsourcing the building. So you didn't really have an in-house contractor. Yeah. Now you're an in-house builder. Can you talk a little bit about the outsourcing it and what you learned in that and then what it took for you guys to decide to bring it in-house? Yeah, I think as we got into kind of that infill development, which I think was a little bit of like a, a newer thing out of the recession, we would just do projects where we'd find the deals and we'd hire different builders. But what we realized was we didn't have enough control over the whole process uh, and really more credit to Zeb because he kind of recognized this really quickly that we, if we wanted to kind of take this to where we wanted, we needed control of the construction side. And with that came a lot of learning, <laughs> a lot of mistakes. You know, we've had, we had some turnover with our team. Uh, you know, one thing I'm proud of is that we kind of always stood behind our product. So even when there were issues, we, you know, made sure we made it right. And we just made sure that, you know, it was an, it was basically an investment at that point. It was like, we need to find the right people. We need to do the right things. And, and a lot of times you make mistakes and you look back and you're like, that was so simple. How did I make that mistake? But, you know, it's just about kind of learning and tweaking and, uh, and yeah, it's, it was very difficult. It was probably one of the more difficult things that we've done was kind of really taking what our core competency was, which was the ability to understand zoning and find properties off market and really kind of parlay and support that with construction. And now I feel like after, you know, the, the few years or so of the new construction experience that we've had, uh, we're really starting to now have that become a strength of our business, which is pretty cool to see because it's really kind of complementing and it's, it's opening us up to a lot of opportunities, whether it's, you know, 
homeowners that want us to build for them or landowners that want to partner with us or just other financial partners that might come in. And then now we are, like I mentioned earlier, that kind of full service uh, infill development. Yeah, I can see that making a lot of sense from the investor side, because if folks come in and say, well, you're just outsourcing the build, yeah. I don't yeah. I don't know what you're doing more than a middleman. But yeah, now when you're a proper builder and developer, um, it makes it a lot easier for you to go out and, and get get the investors. How, yeah. What, and I think too, not to cut you off, but I think it's like, we've seen all sides of it. Right. So we understand what you need to look for from the investor side. And we just understand like how important the numbers are and how to model this stuff. So then when you get into the construction side, you're very much more keen, as you know, when you're doing these types of projects, like it's all about value engineering and understanding what the market needs and trying to have some kind of predictability behind what you're doing. Um, so we're able to kind of do all that. Right, right. Yeah. And I'm sure the investor side is is has been very successful to you and that's that's why you wanna keep the good name and the brand that you have. Um, yeah. do you wanna talk, just plug yourself a little bit about what your investors what you're looking for out of investors sometimes and what a deal looks like to you? Yeah, I think honestly it it changes all the time. Uh and you know, we've built a good base of investors. A lot of times what we do in transparency is is more of a profit split because we feel like if we're going to, you know, stand behind this and we believe in it, then we should all kind of share in, in the risk reward. It's, you know, we, we don't do as much up to this point in terms of fees and different things like that because we feel like you're believing in us. You know, we're supposed to be the market expert. We're supposed to be the ones that, uh, you know, know our costs and know the market and know what things will sell for. And, you know, over time, we've been fortunate that it's snowballed with our investors. So, you know, a lot of people that worked with us five, six years ago, you know, we've met, never missed a payment to anybody. And, you know, more times than not, they're referring us to their inner circle. And yeah. and we've got some, some local partners as well that uh, believe in us and kind of continue to, um, work with us and they know that we're going to stand behind what we say and that it comes with thought and that we're not just, uh, we've been here for a little while and we plan to be here for the next 50 years. So, you know, that's kind of what, uh, what we're looking for with investors is kind of partners, but we do a bunch of different types of things too. With right. Investors. Right. Every, yeah. Everything, everything is deal specific with us. So we don't have like this, you know, fancy real estate fund where we're going and buying, <laughs> an, a, you know, grocery anchored shopping center and, right. you know, clipping some IRR. It's, it's a lot more of, you know, knowing exactly that lot, that neighborhood. And we don't have to do you know, a certain amount of volume every year. So our goal right now is to kind of be the the best that we can be. So if that means we're doing the 30 houses a year or we're doing 500 houses a year, our goals are more about being the best that we could be, not necessarily about kind of creating a fund and being as big as we could possibly be. Yeah. Kudos to you on, I mean, you, you brought it up that, you know, you, you're not out there just trying to charge a fee and then, you know, you're actually trying to split the profit, which which yeah. I think that's pretty stand up from a builder side because there's a lot of guys that make the money off of their first thing is how many fees can they get right <laughs> out of the gate? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, try and split some marginal profit at the end. So right. good for you. Yeah, appreciate it. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you're seeing as far as trends and in, in the size of homes or the price of homes? Are you, you watching out for anything on that end? Yeah, I think... The end of last year, there was a bit of a slowdown when they increased interest rates and it kind of made me and Zeb kind of step back and say, all right, we need to be ready for kind of what's upcoming. And I think what we're seeing is 
you liked a lot of the market seeing is kind of that smaller house, make it affordable. Uh, we don't, you know, that's kind of our business model too, is that it being in that four hundred dollars to $800,000 price point in Charlotte, it kind of requires some smaller houses. So, I mean, our houses will average anywhere from 2,100 up to 3,000 square feet. But we generally are trying to be more in the mid 2000s versus maybe in the past when it felt like every neighborhood, it was like, you know, you'd see 2,400. Then six months later, you got the guy doing 26 and 28. And you saw this progression in all these neighborhoods where it was like, get larger, get larger, get larger. And I think now what we're doing is we're like trying more. We're always probably the builder that will, you know, we don't try to hit the top of every price point. So Bo, I think we've always done that, but I think even more than ever now we're starting to do that. Yeah. I walked, uh, I'm building a few homes, as you know, and uh, one of them's like 3,800 square feet. And I was walking it with a guy the other day and he was interested in building potentially another home, not buying that one, but building another one. And I was just telling him, you know, I built my house in the same neighborhood and it was 30, I'm 32, 3,300 yeah, square smart. feet. And uh but I'm four bedroom and it's like you'd build four bedroom because everybody wants four bedroom, you think. But I'm like, it was really, really, really up to me. I think I'd build that thing at two bedroom. <laughs> yeah, and massive two bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> well, massive and then just have some more, you know, open space. And yeah, I agree. I, I met with him two days later and no kidding. He's like, hey, I really like that idea about maybe just doing two bedrooms and then like a flex room and then have all this other living area. Yeah. So it was funny to hear him. Well, how many I, empty bedrooms do you need, right? Right. It's like if you're not using them, it kind of just becomes pointless really yeah. and but we're all worried about when we want to sell it down the road right yeah exactly yeah I, I mean i did a similar thing on my personal home in noda i i built it for what i think it will be in five years but there's some rooms that i guess you know we're not using right now and uh, it would have probably made sense to do a little bit smaller yeah. But then you get into the whole thing when you're building a new house is that that extra square footage could sometimes be your your cheapest, highest return on investment square footage because in this house, you're, you're going to have one kitchen. So if yeah. you add 600 square feet, you're probably not adding another kitchen, which could be the most expensive part of the house. So you have to balance that as well, right? I mean, how much is that 600 square foot costing you if it's just some hardwoods or carpet or yeah, closet, a door and a closet. Yeah, door, yeah. So it's a, it's a game. I mean, we spent a lot of time and something that I'm kind of a numbers guy. So I spent a lot of time looking at the spreadsheets and analyzing them and, you know, seeing, okay, if we add this many square feet, what is it going to look like? And then some of it's hard because one thing that we learned is, you know, if you haven't built something before, it's really, it's harder to predict your costs. But if you've already built that house before, then you really understand it. You understand your costs a lot better. So one thing we're trying to do is really kind of make sure that we have, we have our kind of Rolodex of 12 to 15 plans and really try to kind of build those again so that it's just a lot more predictable and you can really understand your costs. And, and in a lot of ways, we're able to pass those savings on to our clients and our customers and our investors, because we really know our numbers. And that's, you know, something that we're looking to specialize in a little bit is our custom home model is, is custom homes for that 400000 to $800,000 price point. So we're seeing that it's for people that didn't realize that new home was an option. And they're very frustrated in the market right now because there's not a lot of homes to choose from in Villa Heights and Noda and Plaza Midwood. And they just don't realize that new construction's is attainable because all they see on the market is your 3,300 square foot home that's going for $800,000 and that's just way above their price point. 
but by working with us, we are now kind of helping find land off market um, and using our resources there while allowing them, to your point, Kevin, to build the house that they're looking for. So now they can get into these neighborhoods and build a 2,600 square foot home that they never thought they were going to be able to do. And in a lot of ways, you know, if they kind of keep it in, you know, where they're not going above and beyond, they're having some equity at the end of the deal too, because we were able to help them find the land. And now they're in that, that dream neighborhood with that house that they wanted. And we make the process fit what millennials want today. (laughs) (laughs) As a millennial, it's like, give me the three, four different things I can choose from. Let me personalize this, but I don't need to go crazy. I don't need all these bells and whistles, but we give a really good product at a really good value for our customers. And we're like I said, we're we're allowing them to really get into these neighborhoods where you're, you know, Charlotte still has very low inventory. And um, it's it's great for people that are trying to sell things, but it's got to be very frustrating for for buyers out there that have a six hundred thousand dollar budget and they can't find what they want. Like that's a lot of money. Yeah. So we're trying to really bridge that gap and you know provide that to buyers. Yeah. That 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 landscape of what was six hundred grand and what's six hundred grand today versus two or three years ago has really changed. It's changed tremendously. Yeah. You kind of got into a little bit a couple times already with you know, building several homes and passing those savings along to, to the investor, to the homeowner. And then we talked a little bit earlier about your company and, and your overhead and whatnot. Can we talk a little bit about like your gross margins and what you pay attention to those and then your, yeah. your net margins as well? Yeah. So that's not that's specifically, like yeah. but like how carefully yeah. you have to pay attention to these numbers. Well, yeah. The thing is that that's, that's the puzzle, right? That's the financial puzzle. So if you're, it's, if you're not making good gross margins, then you can't pay your employees properly. And then you can't invest in your culture and your marketing and your brand. So every deal is going to carry a different amount of risk and a different amount of gross margin requirement and a different amount of time. Mm-hmm. But what we're always trying to do right now is, is maximize that gross margin with the understanding that if we can be very profitable, we can then become that version of Vista that we're looking to be. If you don't have good gross growth margins and you don't understand your margins, you can't turn around and invest in the business. You can't turn around and invest in marketing. So that's been something that we've always focused on a lot is, is the numbers and what we're looking uh, to hit. And it's, it's something that we, you know, me and Zeb talk about daily and we look at it and we're like, all right, we got this project. Does it does it check all our boxes? Is this project going to put our team in the right place to succeed so that we can, you know, be profitable and we're not just doing a bunch of things just to do it. And you know, a lot of times it, it, then it's just a function of understanding, okay, what is that gross margin? Okay, now how many homes do I have to do at this average revenue that we're seeing to number 1 cover our overhead? And then number two, try to hit a profit. And you know, I think you know, you try to hit a call it a ten percent net profit, and it's a lot easier said than done, mm-hmm. quite frankly. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of massaging and figuring out. And uh, you know, when you put together the spreadsheet on the first on the front side of any deal, you know that you wind up doing. It looks good for a reason, but you got to really make sure you're on top of the numbers throughout because. There's a lot of costs that go into building a new house and development and, you know, soil conditions. So you got to really be on top of your margins so that it kind of brings the whole puzzle together, basically. Right. Yeah. And and your your marketing is great. I mean, everybody appreciate it coming from you weren't existing, you know, seven years ago to now, you know, many there's 
a good a good portion of the folks in Charlotte know who you are. Appreciate it. Um, what what do you focus on in your marketing? Like how how do you handle that? Yeah, we focus a lot on our branding, our website, trying to kind of keep things up to date. We do a bunch of different things on Google and Facebook and Instagram, and we try to post and we have regular meetings. I think at this point, like our sales and marketing team are tired of hearing us say we need to kind of keep creating content and so that people understand that people get them, that we can get the message out in particular, the message that we're talking about with, you know, getting the buyers don't know that new construction is an option still. So now we feel like we're at a point where people know about Vista, but do they really know what we're able to offer? And that's something that we're really working on now is how do we get that brand out? How do we get that message out? Because it's a great option. And we we work with realtors. So we're, we're really trying to uh, get that messaging across. So we're working right now to to get it across and spending some more investment dollars and time to now that we have a brand presence, create the message around it a little bit better. Have you found anything that works particularly well in creating a brand, whether it's like a platform or something you guys did that worked well? I think it's just a, it's like if you want to kind of be an investor and do, you know, find deals off market, you got to try 10, 15 different yeah. things and try to track it and then try to double down on it. Um, we, we've had success with something as simple as signs in front of our houses. People drive around and they see a Vista sign. So, you you know, the branding and marketing is about kind of doing doing everything, tweaking it, seeing what works, doubling down on what works and maybe investing a little less or keeping it constant on the things that you don't see the same return. And it's just a, it's a never ending thing that we're working to grow and to build upon really. Yeah. Invest in. It feels like it's, it's like in real estate investing in the sense that it all feels like it's this long process and this giant snowball that we're just continuing to kind of reinvest. And, you know, we have a passion, I guess, for, for growing the business. And, you know, it's for us, I think we really enjoy the process. Me and Zeb enjoy the process of continuing to get better, continuing to figure out ways to improve. Uh, We rarely celebrate our successes, but we talk a lot about the things that we could do better and improve. And I, you know, sometimes I think we need to take a step back and, you know, understand that now that we have a company, we have to build the culture and everything else. And that that's not necessarily the culture that everybody wants, but that's just kind of how we're hardwired a little bit. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier about the importance of project selection. Can you talk a little bit about the some of the mistakes you guys made earlier on that you now avoid in that stage? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is if you do something new for the first time, it's probably going to cost more than you expected <laughs> and it's going to take longer than you planned. After you do it a couple of times, you really start to, you know, you have maybe a product that you like or you know your numbers better. So I think the biggest thing is every time you step in there and do something new and, you know, it has maybe this project has a rooftop terrace or it has these different elements that are new. Just be ready for the fact that it's probably going to cost you more and it's probably going to take longer than you planned. And you, and you may make a mistake or two that you have to come back and fix, too. So for us, it's kind of how do we get repetition in the things that we've already found success with in order to, you know, kind of double down. It's almost like marketing, right? We're doubling down on the things that we've seen that have been successful at this point. Right. When you can recreate something you've already done, it's a lot easier than than trying to start from scratch. Definitely. I know you guys are a part of the National Home Builders, and I think you're a part of like some 
insider groups in that. I'm not trying to plug them at all, but I'm just trying to yeah. get an idea of, of things you're finding value of. Has, has part of that been successful? Yeah, yeah. We in particular joined uh, the NAHB. We got a uh, credit to Zeb on this. He got us, uh, he just flew out to California, stalked a couple people and got us accepted into kind of like a mastermind type uh, NAHB builder group. Um, we've been in it now for um, a little bit over a year and they really, we just learned a lot and it's with builders that are kind of similar size across the country. So they have people from different areas and you meet and there's an email chain. And so you're able to kind of hear what their pain points are. And I think that really opened us up a lot to, are we evaluating this business properly? Are we looking at our margins properly? And what are some best practices and what are some issues? And it's really nice because if you have an issue, you can always shoot an email and you got, you know, 15 to 20 builders, similar size that have probably experienced a similar issue to you. So that's been a great one. Uh, in the beginning, you know, I did a little bit more networking with the local RIA and you know, that was important as well. I think when you're getting started, you just got to try everything and, and really just get out there. And, and a lot of times it's going to be doing things that, you know, you're not necessarily comfortable with, but, you know, when you start to do those, see those groups and those networking things, you're a little nervous at first to do them, but there's, there's a lot of payoff with them. So I definitely highly recommend, you know, the NAHB group that we're involved in and getting involved in Urea as well. You meet a lot of great people. Yeah, if you can, if you can dial in some some best practices that are working, you know, with other folks your size, as well as finding some worst practices too. Yeah, yeah. those are the real money savers. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure you've had several of those. Yeah, we've made mistakes. I mean, that's that's life. That's that's real estate. You're gonna make a, t a ton of mistakes. You're gonna make a lot more mistakes, and you're gonna remember the good things that you did. But you know, you just never go backwards. You're always kind of just pushing forward and learning and getting better. And, you know, if you aren't ready to kind of sacrifice and understand that it's a long process, you know, I've, I've had so many times where I'm like, all right, if this deal goes through, this is going to be the one that makes things feel different. And it's like, you get there and you have a successful deal and it's just, all right, like what's next. And you, you know, you don't, it's more about the, you learn over time that it's more about the process of building and trying to un enjoy the process than worry about that one deal because that one deal is never going to change your life. It's going to be more about the process and getting better. And, you know, I think the things that I think will change my life in five to 10 years, you know, hopefully I get there and I think I'll probably still be like, what's next? How do we do better? How do we improve? Because it's fun if you can you know, get past some of the, but mistakes aren't fun. So you have to kind of have a stomach for the anxiety and the mistakes as well. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean that yeah. specifically you guys yeah, make yeah. a lot of mistakes. I mean, I think it's business, natural. You, yeah. If you're going to put yourself out there, you're going to make mistakes. You know, if I didn't want to make mistakes, I could have stayed as a, a financial analyst and done the, the nine to five job. And, uh, you know, I could have got, you know, I just knew that that wasn't for me. And I knew that I wanted to, you know, do more. And there's times where I've sat back and been like, why did I get myself into this? This is tough and it's a lot harder than I expected. But those are the times where you just kind of roll up your sleeves and, and work a little bit harder and uh, just try to figure it out and just don't make the same mistake twice or don't make the same mistake three times. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just keep pushing forward, really. Yeah, I, I compliment you guys because you guys do push forward. And, and, you, and even let's talk a little bit about maybe like when you're evaluating a deal, some people might not push far enough because I know that you and Zeb are really good at like say there's there's a property and you're like, well, maybe we could 
with the zoning and the layout, maybe we could push this many units on there versus everybody else might have walked away from it not knowing that. And and I compliment you because you guys are really good at that. Can can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, I appreciate it. We just try to like understand the zoning a little bit, understand what's possible. And that's been a little bit of just like a core competency of some, you know, of infill development. That's a big piece of, of infill development is understanding what you can do with the lots by right. So they don't, it doesn't require a rezoning necessarily because uh, rezonings cost a lot of money and take a lot of time. And then you're meeting with the neighbors and it's a very tough process, but. And it's not under, a sure bet either. It's not a sure bet. Yeah. It's, it's a big investment for not a sure bet. So we do a lot of our stuff by right. So we just kind of really, and again, that's been the trial and error, the, the understanding, we just felt like that's, I mean, if you're going to do infill development, it's, it's an important piece of it for sure. Yeah. What about, you know, I talked to Zeb sometimes about the ADUs that we've got in, in Charlotte. Yeah. Do you, have you guys tried to incorporate those in any of your builds yet? So we haven't yet. Uh, Zeb might be working on one or two different things. I think it's a really interesting. I know that there's um, different guidelines in terms of, I think it needs to be a certain percentage of the actual structure. With a limit, right. I think it's definitely something that is poised to have potential because land values are only going up from here. Land is hard to find. And if you can put a 1,000 square foot structure in the back corner of your house and, and potentially rent it out, you know, you can make a bunch of money, especially with Airbnb and different things like that. So we haven't done any of it yet, but I do think that it's something that people will continue to explore. Uh, and I think it makes a lot of sense. You are starting to see more of the, you know, the in-law suite, the detached garage with the suite above it. And I think that's kind of like a similar kind of concept a little bit. Right. Hey, do you guys do much of the detached garages or are you guys more into... So when we do our spec homes, we don't find the return on investment on detached garages because it's they're not that cheap to build. And we find that, you know, most customers, unless it's like for their own personal house, they're not going to necessarily usually pay for those types of items yet. But we are uh, doing, you know, some detached garages on some of our, you know, more custom homes. People like them and it makes sense. But we just find that from a spec perspective, people are looking more at price per square foot and and that's kind of what you're selling off of. And the detached garage, we just don't see the return on investment. So we don't really do it quite as as often, really. Yeah, the price per square foot is definitely something that folks are looking at. But I think equally so is the layout. And I think you guys keep acting like I'm your biggest fan, but I think you guys do a good job of spending time to, on your layouts as well. I have well. to bring you around to the office, <laughs> to some client meetings. Yeah. Like, I don't know who this guy is, but... Uh, but no, yeah. for real, like spending time on your layout versus not not spending time, like just yeah. f- focusing solely on square footage can be a huge mistake. Definitely. And that's kind of, again, full circle to the value that we're able to provide for customers too, is that we're trying to make our layouts very efficient and effective and what people want. And we understand that land is going to be, you know, a little expensive in this market. So how do we build you an efficient house so that you're able to get into your dream neighborhood and with a house that works for you? And that's kind of a lot of that is efficient planning because now we're able to efficiently build for what people want, the open concepts, the, you know, the number of bedrooms and bathrooms that they want. And now since we've made it efficient and affordable, we're able to pass that on to our customers where everybody can win. And that's what we're looking to do. Yeah. Any um, trends you're seeing in, in that layout, like versus what you were doing two years ago and what you're adding now? 
Not necessarily. I think it's like a lot of people understand like open concept. Everyone wants an open concept where everything's kind of free flowing and that at times when you have less walls and less hallways becomes very efficient. Yeah. Um, so all our plans are really with that in mind of kind of that open concept, uh, a little bit of outdoor living. Uh, and at the end of the day, we just try to be, a, you know, somewhat efficient, but really give the customer the type of product that, you know, they see on Pinterest and HGTV. Yeah. It's the, you know, that's it's what for millennials. Want. I know. Yeah. It's, <laughs> the little just, lights on the outdoor. They love yeah. that. S'mores ready for you. Don't, don't forget the barn door. Yeah. The barn door. You got to throw the sliding a barn door, barn door in every <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Some painted brick. Like <laughs> they love it. So, uh, you do you know, guys put just, shiplap in any of your houses? Yeah. We do a bunch of shiplap. We got, you you know, all the trends that kind of millennials are looking for. Obviously, we got the yeah. gray and white cabinets, the nice clean tile, the the board and batten on the exterior. Everyone loves the white house with the black windows. So yeah. we make sure that we the red door. In- incorporate I that as well. Yep. And it's, it's Instagram ready. Just go shoot it. Hey, that's it. That's it. That's how you get eyeballs these days, right? Everyone's on Instagram. So we just want to be a brand that people understand and recognize and, and are looking at. So. Yeah. Yeah, that open floor plan, I think, uh, I don't think people realize it, but as a builder, like I've built some 26, 2700 square foot plans that were very open and then gone and built like a 30, you know, something 20% larger and been like, wow, how did I get all that extra space in that other home? And now this, this home that's significantly larger doesn't feel near as big. And it's like you mentioned, you have all these, you don't have to incorporate a bunch of walls and hallways. it really adds to to the yeah. livable square footage. Yeah, and I think that was one thing from the downturn is I think people now are trying to just be a little bit, uh, you know, they don't want the McMansion, so they want it to be something that really flows well and fits their lifestyle too. To your point, when you talk about a two-bedroom and a flex, that's because that's your lifestyle. You Why wouldn't you want to... And a house for, you know, mostly everyone is their biggest investment. So why wouldn't you want that investment to really fit your lifestyle rather than reach or uh, for that big 3,500 square foot house? Or do you really want to be in that, you know, recently renovated brick ranch that was built in 1930? So do you want that? I don't know. I think that we're finding that people want to kind of have a little bit of a personal touch and new construction and and a builder that's going to stand behind their product and their warranty. And they know they're not going to have issues because we're a company. We're not two guys in a truck. We're a company. You can come find us, come to our office, tell us, you know, if there's an issue, we're going to stand behind it. So people understand that. Yeah. How do you balance the customization of your home? Because obviously you want to keep everything relatively uniform so you can keep the projects going. Yeah. How do you balance all the change orders and requests from customers? Yeah, it's a great question. So something we kind of talk through and battle with a little bit, but what we try to do as our message when it's a custom home is we give the client three wishes. So three things that are kind of not standard with our process, not standard with our homes or our process. So if they want to add a side door, that would be considered a wish. If they want to upgrade from chrome to black and that's some, you know fi- finishes and fixtures, and that's something that we already include, that wouldn't be considered a wish necessarily. But we try to explain to the customer that, hey, we're going to offer you these three wishes. If you want to go true custom and you want to build a million dollar plus house, there's other builders out there that are probably going to be more, you know, for you. If you want to source your your tile from Italy, we're probably not the right fit unless that's one of your three wishes. So, <laughs> but that helps us make it, you know, affordable yeah. and something that 
you know, is they're still going to be super proud with and super happy with because we spend a ton of time making sure that we have the right products and the right things in place. But we can't hit those price points if we offer many, much more than those three wishes, basically. I love that. Yeah, appreciate it. Let's talk about a little bit about like having a business partner. You've had one for seven years yeah. now. So how what have you found over that time period that, that makes you guys work together yeah. really well? Because like, you're obviously different folks. And just talk a little bit about yeah. how, that, how that works. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. We're, we're different. I think that's like the biggest strength that we have is that the things that I excel in is things that he's not as interested in understanding and the things that he excels in, uh, I'm not that great at. And I think when you're starting a business and you're an entrepreneur, I mean, if you're the jack of all trades and can do everything, you know, more power to you. But I know that I guess I knew up front that that necessarily like wasn't me. I, I feel like I'm great in certain things. I think I can understand the numbers and some of the business side, but um, from the construction and sales and maybe even some of the team building, that's where Zeb like really excels. So I think it's important to have a partner where if you're both really good at the same things, you're probably you know, not going to really have the same growth and trajectory, whereas, you know, being able to do different things. And I think also, you know, having a partner, you're able to, it's almost like a therapist, you have someone to talk to. So when you make those mistakes, there's, yeah. there's, you know, understanding like, okay, we're in this together, we need to figure this out. Or if we want to grow, and we're doing different projects, you know, we're, we're really leaning on each other. And, and then it, it's also someone that's kind of there to hold you accountable too, quite frankly. So I think there's, there's probably been times where it's like, I didn't want to do that one extra piece of marketing or take that extra step. But when you know there's someone else there that's doing it too, it kind of makes it feel a little bit more uh, motivating to kind of go and not and do it. And it's a little bit more of a team. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of things if you're starting a business as an entrepreneur that are uncomfortable. Uh, and if you're doing it by yourself, I find that like it's easy to kind of let the uncomfortableness kind of push you back. But when if I look over to my left and Zeb's doing that thing that I'm uncomfortable with, well, I better man up and go do that thing that I'm uncomfortable with. <laughs> because yeah. that's kind of what it's about is if you want to be an entrepreneur and do these types of things or, or start a business or be a real estate investor – you know, if you're not doing things that make you uncomfortable, then you're not growing and you're probably not doing the right thing. So having a partner that, you know, you feel like you can't let them down kind of helps you push you a little bit to do those uncomfortable things. Yeah, I agree. I think I, envious I don't have a partner. <laughs> <laughs> Got a podcast partner. I do. Have a podcast <laughs> He's the bomb. There you go. He's a millennial. That's, uh, that's good to have. Target audience. Yeah, you're <laughs> checking all my wife's boxes. He's been smiling the, the houses. <laughs> All right. So next up, we've got the lightning round. So you've got 30 to 60 seconds to answer each question. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. What's your favorite way to source deals? I think right now our favorite way is through like our brand and through networking. So people just really under, like know us. They know we're going to execute. If we say we're going to do a deal, then they know we're going to that we're going to do it because we've we're getting really focused in the type of stuff we're doing. So now it's been kind of that networking, that brand. People know yeah. that they can kind of come to us. How do you find great subcontractors? 
So we've been fortunate. We hired uh, a lot of construction experience. So uh, our construction operations manager has a background with Bonterra, which was a lar- it's a large home builder, and he's really brought a lot of his relationships over. Mm-hmm. What I will say is, you know, when you're looking for subs, the lowest price is usually <laughs> someone you should run away yeah. from, and they're n- probably not going to give you the service and the quality and stand behind their product. Um, but then, you know, you don't necessarily want to always use the most expensive because then you're potentially, especially for us in that, you know, call it middle price point, it could price us out of a lot of different projects. So you got to find the, for us, it's been about finding like the good companies that we know will, will stand behind their work and, uh, and, you know, make sure that they, you could kind of see some of their past work too, and that they're doing a good job. And if you can't, if they don't have kind of work, uh, actually I listened to your guys last podcast with Jeff and he made a good point that if you, you know, someone in this market isn't, doesn't have work to show you, that's, that's probably a bad sign. I thought that was a great point that he made. Yeah. That and insurance. And insurance was another Yeah. No, no, to your point, like if it's a one man band or it's the low, it's the low bidder and it's, it's, you're, I'm not actually thinking about the price necessarily. I mean, I am to some degree, but I'm thinking about the call that I'm going to get on a warranty issue and which one of these subs has the manpower to be out there, you know, quickly and address it and, and address it professionally. Like that, that is going to mirror my image, right? Exactly. Like, I don't want somebody going out there and ruining my image. They're like, wow, this is not what I expected. You want, you know, a, a decent sized company that, that can take care of it. Yeah. Take it, care it, of it. it all comes full circle. So you almost would rather pay, a, you definitely would rather pay a little more and have predictability in your costs, including warranty. That's a real cost. Cause if you don't have predictability in costs, it goes back to, you're not going to have the right margins. You're not going to be profitable. You're not going to be able to properly invest in your business to allow it to grow. Yeah. Right. If you were to start Vista today, what are two things you do differently? Well, we learned the hard way that renovations weren't for us and we were more new construction. It's just a little bit of like an easier process. So, you know, yeah, if I had a crystal ball and started seven, eight years ago, we probably would have jumped right into new construction. Whereas in the beginning, we um, bought some rental property, did a bunch of different renovations. We did some larger renovations where we did different, you know, we added square footage and, you know, we felt like that was the right thing. And then we kind of realized that that just wasn't the right fit for the type of business that we were looking to grow. So I think that would be the first thing. And then I think the second thing is spend time and extra time on the people that you hire and make sure that they're going to be a good fit for your Mm -hmm. team. And sometimes you got so much going on and you got so much, you know, you're trying to grow, you got, you're juggling a hundred different things and it's easy to be like, to take the person that's in front of you. But in a lot of times you need to really make sure that they're the right fit. So I think those would probably be the two biggest things that if I had a crystal ball. No, those are great. How do you, what what process have you found works best with, you know, making sure that they are going to fit with your culture? Yeah, I think it's just, you kind of can know from interviewing, but don't, if you feel like something's not right, like your, your gut's usually right with that stuff. So if you feel like something's not right, it's not like they're going to magically come in when they're an employee. Cause when they're in their interview, that's their best version of their self, right? You would think. So if they're not really checking a lot of your boxes or almost all of your boxes, then you should be kind of careful with who you bring on. Cause I think, you know, if you bring on the right people and you're and you're building the right systems and the right business, they're gonna they should be able to to flourish in your organization. It's on me and Zeb to make them successful more so than I think it is for them to 
you know, work extra hard. It's more about are we putting them in the right position? What is your favorite business or real estate book? So the first book that kind of got me going on real estate was, uh, was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I think that's kind of cliche, but it's just the way of thinking about money. I think that you go through education school and they don't really, they don't teach you about financial literacy. And that's just an interesting book that really focuses on uh, passive income and cash flow and, and what is success and how that looks. Other than that, uh, I've just spent a lot of time on blogs and podcasts. And I think, uh, you know, pretty much getting started, like we didn't spend a dollar on education really, I mean, besides books here and there, but we did, you don't need to go to some fancy expensive mastermind to learn about real estate. You can, <laughs> there's a $20,000 so seminar. Yeah. No, oh, there's man. none of those. So many people think that though. Yeah. It's about get on there and, you know, I can't tell you the amount of hours of, you know, podcasts and blogs and just absorb everything. I think, you know, well, the way we looked at it was you're really trying to eliminate the chance of failure more than just trying to succeed because yeah. at the end of the day in, in real estate, everyone, you know, everyone can kind of analyze a house. I mean, almost 50% of the people um, are homeowners in the country. I think that's roughly the stats. So we're, it's a very fragmented industry that's pretty simple at the end of the day. So you got to try to figure out ways to add value and and kind of uncover this, you know, unturn every stone and really try to figure out a way to, you know, bring value to the business because again, it's, it's not that complex. Yeah. All right. I think we've wrapped it up. We appreciate your time today. Yeah. Thanks guys. Yeah, really thanks appreciate you having me. me. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Who Knows Real Estate. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and check out our show notes for the guest contact info, as well as ours. Be sure to look for our next episode. Thanks.